Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. As we continue, we are in three, week three of our series called Raised to Life, and we're looking this week at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and I invite you to turn there or get your phone out and, and engage in that way. And today, we're looking at the aspect of asking the question, what are you doing? See, all of us have the opportunity in some way to invest in children. Children are everywhere, and we're in a community that has a lot of children. How many of you love children? How many of you are working on your love for children? That's something you're kind of, you know, depending on what's going on. We all have an opportunity to invest in children. I know in my life, I've had so many people, thank God, invested in me. And even as a community here at Shoreline Community Church, we value highly our children. This is our responsibility. When you look at Jesus, Jesus pushed everything aside to bring children in because he valued it. And even for me, if you've been here very long, you've heard me say that if children are in here today and they're crying, that doesn't bother me. I welcome it. As a dad of four kids, the noise doesn't bother me. When it gets too quiet, I get a little nervous, okay? So kids are okay. So uh, I welcome the kids in here today. But one of the ways that I've found a great way to engage kids is by asking children great questions. Have you discovered that? You ask a kid a question, you're going to engage them. As a matter of fact, kids are great at asking questions. And one of the big questions that my mom asked me, and maybe you've asked somebody this before, is this question, you ready for it? It's the question, what are you doing? How many of you had someone ask that before? What are you doing? And it wasn't because my mom didn't know what was going on. It's because she knew what was going on, and she was horrified by it. She couldn't believe I was doing it. And she said, Dwayne, what are you doing? Often it was as a kid as I was walking out. Maybe it was when I had a slingshot in my hand, or I had a bow and arrow in my hand, or I had some neighborhood cats in my hands, or I had a shovel, I was going out to the woods in my hand, or I was coercing my nieces and nephews. She asked me this question a lot, what are you doing? I think she had an idea what I was doing. And this is the question that Paul is asking today. And he's speaking to a group of people that are confused, that he's invested a lot in. And he's looking at them, and he's basically saying, what are you doing? And to find this, we look at Romans chapter 6. Are you with me there today? Romans chapter 6, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. And Paul asked, this is his what are you doing question. He's saying, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. This is his, what are you doing? Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in in baptism, we joined him in death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Amen. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died to Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we have died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. We just sung that song. 
When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you are dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. We need to hear that today. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of what? God's grace. God's grace. And grace was a tough word. It's a tough word today, but it was a tough word back then. But as we look to the word of God, we need to understand something today. That God gave us his Bible for the purpose of connecting to him. It's a love letter, right? How many, maybe letters are outdated. How many of you have ever received a letter before, right? Like growing up as a kid, we would write these little love notes to people next to us. We weren't in love. We just, you know, we're just trying to get candy. We write these little notes These letters are letters to connect. This is what God is doing for us. He's given us his word to connect with us, to come alive. And what he's trying to speak to us today is this whole idea of grace. And Paul is speaking to an audience, I believe, a lot like today's audience. We're confused about what grace is. So to bring clarity, Paul is outlining three key things in this. And the first thing that Paul is trying to do, it's what every mom tries to do for the kids, is Paul is trying to get them to think. Everyone say think. Think. Sit down in your thinking chair and think, think, think. Any Blues Clues fans? No? Yeah. Hey, little throwback, right? Yeah. Steve in the big red chair. That was my jam with Riley growing up, okay? So he's trying to get us to think. That wasn't in my notes. That's not in the listening guide, okay? Paul's trying to get us to think, but he's trying to get us to think so we can grow. Everyone say grow, Okay, grow. So we're going to think so we can grow so that we can get on purpose. Everyone say purpose. Because we need a purpose in life. Because if we, it's not about just stopping things. It's about growing and coming alive. So we're going to think so that we can grow and that we can fulfill the purpose that we have. So Paul starts off by thinking, by saying, essentially, what are you doing? Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. See, his audience is very confused about grace. They see grace as permission to do whatever you want. Have you heard that before? Well, it's grace. And there are people in this audience that they like that definition. I can do whatever I want. God's grace is wonderful. It's going to cover it. So I'm going to just keep on doing my own thing because God's grace is sufficient for me. So, but while one group loved that, there was another group that was concerned because they saw if you took that attitude, it could be very destructive in our lives. And so what they tried to do is they went back to what they knew, by, which is the law, by trying to control things. So essentially what they were doing is they were saying, if you want to go with grace, fine. But we're going to add some rules to it. We're going to bring some control to this. So we do all the grace, but you need to have all the law, all the ceremonies, and everything that's in it. And Paul's response to this, he's going, this does not make sense. 
why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. This is not what grace is about. See, there was a block and a resistance to grace. Because when you have lived a life that's been all about rules and all about just checking the box, and you've lived this performance-based life, the whole idea and the whole concept of grace, something we don't deserve, something we could never earn, a gift of God, well, for some of us, that could be encouraging. For others, that's a little concerning. This is something totally brand new for us. And even for some, it can be even threatening. So what Paul is doing, Paul is going to the question behind the question. And if you've read much in the Gospels about Jesus, you know that Jesus was a master at this. People would ask Jesus questions, and what he would do is he would look at the question behind the question. He would look at the motive, and he would go right to my fear in every situation. And here's the real question behind the question. The question behind the question is this. Does the Gospel transform us? This was the question in that day. This is all good, but does the gospel really transform us? In other words, does the gospel, does it change how we behave? Is it transformative? And Paul's answer is, yes. The gospel, it is transformative. When we come to Jesus, as Paul's outlining, we die to sin so that we can live in Christ. It transforms us. See, Paul's essentially saying that to say that you can keep on sinning and live in grace, these don't go together. If you've experienced the grace of God, you cannot keep on going sinning. Now, you can be struggling in that, but you're not going to be celebrating that. You hear what I'm saying? When you experience the grace of God, it changes us. It transforms us. It's a gift from God. It's like, God, it's like somebody coming in and, they, and they're buying a brand new house for you and going, here's a brand new house. It's all paid for and it's done. But instead of living in that house for free as a gift from God, we want to keep paying rent. Or worse yet, instead of living in that house, we want to go out and buy a, new, a different house and go into debt and live in that house instead. And Paul's saying, The Lord has given this to you. Why aren't you living in this? You don't need to keep on paying rent. See, grace has been provided in order for us to receive the gospel. We need grace to receive the gospel. Grace is how we approach God. If you've been here several weeks ago, we talked about how grace is a door that opens up that invites us to come in. Grace says, follow Jesus. It's the voice of our Savior saying, follow me. And it's only by grace If we have not walked through that door of grace, engaging in that, we have yet to receive the gospel. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not of our works. No one can boast about this, Paul writes in Ephesians. See, we join with Jesus. Jesus didn't die just to be an enabler in our lives. Jesus didn't go through everything he went through while we were still sinners, while we were rejecting him. He didn't die just so he can say, go off and do what you want, everything's okay. Have you ever seen the effect of an enabler in someone's life? Where they look in someone's life and everything they do is okay? Let me ask you this. Is everything that you do in your life okay? I'll answer the question. Not everything I do in my life needs someone coming by and say, good job, Dwayne, that was perfect. I had a mom saying, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing with those cats? What are you doing with this? And even later in life, I, I, had, I had professors. I was practicing one time in a, in, in a rehearsal room. My piano professor going by heard enough to know it was me, and she burst in the door in my private rehearsal going, Dwayne, what are you doing? I didn't teach you to rehearse like that. Why? She didn't want me to practice over and over and over doing the wrong things because she knew that she would have to come back and break some of those bad habits. 
I'm very thankful she did that because my growth went a lot quicker than it would have. She was committed to me, but my growth would have been impacted by it. This is what grace does. See, grace doesn't just justify us. In other words, it doesn't just make us right standing with God, but it involves us in the sanctification process of removing it all. It's not just a plan or a program. We are receiving Christ. It opens the door for us to receive Christ. And when we receive Jesus, we are changed forever. We are changed forever when we receive Jesus. See, this is personal. It's relational. And it's a big change. It's up and close personal God 24-7. It's Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, God around us. Before me, behind me, around me. It's very personal, and this can be threatening to some. But what Paul is saying is that you don't understand grace because grace opens the door to this relationship with Christ. And when Jesus is in your life, this changes everything. When God is in my life transforming me and grace is active in my life, it is not more sin in my life. It is less sin. The more that grace abounds, the sin doesn't abound with it. God is changing me and it's going down, 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 down. I die to sin. Do I still have struggles? Yes. Are there still hurts, habits, and hang-ups, the celebrate recovery way that we're kind of walking things through? Yes, but the grace empowers me and enables me to be more than an overcomer through Jesus Christ who died for me. This is what it is. So Paul's saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Grace sets you free. So he's saying, look, you've got to think about it. And when you really think about it, then you're going to get some serious growth going into your life. And this brings us to our next point, which is grow. See, Paul says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life. See, the whole point, as we get close to Christ, as we grow, as we are filled with his spirit, we grow. Healthy things grow. Those of you that invest in kids, you want to see them grow, don't you? That the same challenges that they have, they don't continue with, right? There was a day that my mom had to help me to eat. I've overcome that challenge in my life, okay? There was a time in my life my mom had to help me communicate and talk. I've overcome that. You may not like everything I say, but I can communicate something. We bring growth to people's lives. This is what God does in our lives. It is bringing growth. But in order to do this, Paul is outlining a key point that before we are raised with Christ, we die with Christ. This is the tough part. See, death precedes life. Jesus said this in John 12 where he said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains a seed. When you think back to your biology class, right, you put a seed in the ground, it dies, and then it grows. See, God is not out to suppress sin in us. He's not out just to medicate it and to keep it suppressed and put it down. God is out to destroy sin, to kill it in our lives. See, we want a less invasive approach For a lot of us, myself included, sometimes we go to God and say, hey, God, can you just put a Band-Aid on that? Just cover it up, right? It's gas. You can just put a Band-Aid on it. See, as as a kid, I used to love Band-Aids, and Band-Aids today are a lot cooler than when I was a kid. Now you've got, you know, all these different SpongeBob Band-Aids and all kinds of different Band-Aids with colors. They're almost like stickers and stuff. And so when we're hurt, we may think, well, hey, God, just put a Band-Aid on it. I thought that was cool until I went to my mom for a Band-Aid. Because you know what my mom did first? She cleaned it out. 
Have you ever had a cut cleaned out by a mom or an adult or somebody who really cares about you? And she wasn't just dabbing a little bit. She was grinding it in. She was vicious in it because she knew what would happen and she didn't get it out. She pulled every rock out of my knee. She pulled uh, sticks out of my knee. She pulled stuff out of my knee where she was like, how'd that get in there? It's a G.I. Joe. What's happening? Pull it out. She got everything out because she knew she didn't get it out. What's going to happen? It's going to get infected. Before you put a band-aid on it, you clean it out. See, that's what God does for us. If God doesn't clean it out first, and sometimes that cleaning process is very quick. You just spray something on it. You get a little shock and you're okay. Other times it's more difficult. And there's more challenges in it. See, when I was a kid, uh, one of these knees I've forgotten. One of these knees got split open four times and the other one got split open three times. I didn't learn very quickly when I was a kid. There was a big rock I liked to jump off of. And every time it involves stitches. I think the last count was like 40 stitches total over like seven episodes or something like that in these knees. And every time it was cleaned out. Because if it didn't get cleaned out, I'd have a bigger problem. My knees work today so far. so We need to get it cleaned out. This is what God does in us. God's not out just to put a Band-Aid on it. God wants to fix it, make it healthy. But that process, we need to lean into and say, he's cleaning it. He's setting me free from this. Because see, in order to grow in Christ, we need to be set free from bondage. Don't we? This is what Jesus does. All throughout scripture, we see this common theme with Jesus of setting people free. See, God is relentless in cleaning out the sin in our life because of his nature, because the nature of sin is to dominate us and destroy us. God's not this cosmic killjoy. God is out to make us healthy so we can have life to the full. He wants you to have more fun, but it's through his cleansing, his power alive in us. See, sin is like a debt. And for anyone that's ever been involved in debt, debt has been set up to grow. There are institutions out there that they're not just out there to help you. They want to get all the money they can from you. It's not very nice, is it? They want to get everything that they can from you, right? There's a debt that's in our life. And Paul is saying that God is not out just to suppress it. God is out to completely kill it and destroy it. But in order to do that, we need to die to sin. And Paul says this phrase in there. He says that sin might lose its power. That sin might lose its power. And when you look at the Greek word for that, what that means is unemployed, inoperative, devoid of force, power, and influence. It's abolished and it's terminated. Amen. If you had a challenge in your life and God came up and said, I'm going to fire that thing. I'm going to get rid of that thing. I'm going to abolish it. You'd be like, woohoo. This is awesome. But see, the effect of sin in our life is so powerful. Left unchecked. That Paul makes this comparison that he makes several times, and he compares it to slavery. Now, when we think about slavery, we tend to think about the horrific nature of slavery that's happened, especially over the last couple hundreds of years. It's happened all throughout humanity, but over the last couple hundred years, and America has this dark history. Just horrific slavery. But when we look at slavery in Rome... There were pockets of that happening. But when we look at slavery in Rome with what Paul is talking about, slavery in Rome was a little bit different than what we've read about or what we have experienced. See, slavery in Rome, it was not based on race. 
And the word that Paul uses here for slave, that word referred to someone who sold themselves into slavery for employment or debt repayment. They had a debt, and so they were selling themselves to the owner in order to pay for it. And this was the most common form of slavery in Rome at the time. As a matter of fact, first century Rome, about two-thirds of the Roman population was engaged, were actually slaves themselves. Two-thirds. At one point, it got up to about 90%. See, slaves worked everywhere in Rome. They were a common part of Roman society and city government, engineering projects. Slaves were so similar to Roman citizens that the Roman Senate in the first century once considered a plan to make them wear special clothing because they couldn't identify who the slaves were and who the free people were at a glance. And I think that happens to us sometimes. Sometimes it's easy for us to walk around and we look like we're free. We look like we're fine. But all the while, we've sold ourselves off. We've given ourselves over to sin. We've given ourselves over to this debt. And we try to hide it so that no one knows. But here's the powerful thing. The powerful thing is that Jesus came to set us free. Not just suppress it. Not just write a check for us. But to set us free, to bring us alive. This is what Paul is saying. But he's using this illustration because he's also underlining that freedom is difficult. See, the longer that you've been in bondage, the longer that you've been enslaved, whatever form it takes, the more difficult it can be sometimes to break that cycle, to get outside of it. And that can be difficult for a lot of us if we have never experienced it or we don't have friends who have walked in that. That can be difficult for us to understand because we may be like, well, you're free. Go, you're free. But this can be very difficult. See, when all you've known is slavery, freedom can be difficult and even stressful. When we look in the Bible, the Israelites experienced this. They prayed for freedom to be released from the Pharaoh back in Exodus. God set them free, and they were going out to the promised land. But at the first sight of trouble, what happened? They got to the Red Sea, and they went, you know what? You've brought us here to die. We're not enough graves back in Egypt. Good job, Moses. Good job, God. Listen, maybe we can go back, and maybe the Pharaoh will take us back. At the first sight of problems, because that's all that they knew. We know this from institutionalized prisoners. All the studies that have been done, and Craig Haney with the University of California, in the research that he's done, he has found and confirmed that long-term prisoners struggle when they're released, and we know this. And he says this word, he said, inmates who have been institutionalized, they lose their capacity to initiate behavior on their own. All they know is bondage. All they know is the jail. And even here with American slavery, Booker T. Washington wrote in his book Up From Slavery, in that time period when Abraham Lincoln outlawed slavery, Booker T. Washington reflected and said, the wild rejoicing on the part of the emancipated colored people lasted but for a brief period. And he goes on to explain how once that idea of a new life set in, a lot of fear began to work out. And Booker T. Washington said, there was a strange and peculiar attachment to the slave owners. To the slave owners, because that's all that he knew. Freedom is waiting, but there's a lot of bondage. There's a lot of struggle. See, we are free. We've been set free. Jesus has come to set us all free. 
But there's a fight that is going on and we can't win this fight on our own. See, we are only set free as we die with Christ, dead to sin, and then we come alive in him. And part of coming alive is this next part. It's the walking in it, and it's walking in our purpose. Jesus came to set us free so that we can be alive in the purpose that he has brought for us. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, give yourselves completely to God. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. See, the power in living for God is in using your whole life, your whole body that he refers to as a masterpiece for God. Use everything. See, you are an instrument. An instrument was designed for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. And playing that instrument well, it requires full surrender and it requires to be used. If you've ever seen an instrument that hasn't been used for a while, it actually starts to break down. If you pick up a guitar that hadn't been playing for years and just sat over in a corner hitting direct sunlight and then cold and sunlight and cold, the instrument is almost destroyed because it hasn't been used. See, fulfilling and accomplishing anything, it requires total dedication. And that dedication is what enables us to move to action. See, to live free, we have to act on the freedom that God has given us. See, my purpose is not fulfilled unless I act on it. Jesus can lay everything out. But unless I totally surrender to God and I'm willing to walk it out. Whether you're in this room today and you, you are not a follower of Christ or whether you've been following Christ for decades. God has a lot more music for you to play. And I think sometimes we can feel sidelined where God, there's not a, lot, a whole lot of music going in my life. And God's going, I've got a sheet in front of you. I got stuff for you to do. I'm getting ready to tune you up. I'm getting ready to recalibrate you because I want to use you because there's a song that this city needs to hear. There's a song this community needs to hear. And he's saying, are you willing to commit and dedicate yourself to be dead to sin, alive in Christ, walking it out, knowing it's going to be tough, and knowing that I'm going to call you to walk along some people that have been suffering for years, for decades, for generations, and it's going to be difficult. Just saying you're free is not going to be enough. You need to walk with them. This is what Jesus did. You want to see a bunch of people that Jesus walked with, that they kept stumbling along the way? They kept rejecting Jesus along the way and coming back? Do you know what we call them? Disciples. Jesus' disciples. They stumbled a lot. And sometimes we're like, well, why is that person having a hard time? Well, because they're a disciple of Christ. Jesus is alive with them. He's setting them free, but he's teaching them a new way. And along the way, you're going to stumble. See, my mom said more to me than just, get up and walk. No more diapers today. It's a process. It's real. It's real. There's a process that the Lord is working in us. We need to act in it. We need to walk it out. We need to be alive in Christ ourselves, but we also need to be willing to be walking along others and encouraging. This is what Paul is calling us to. This is the grace of God. The grace of God has come to set us free. And now the grace of God is alive in you because what did Jesus say? He said, you'll do even greater things. But it's all because of grace. It's all because of grace. We need God's grace See, if all you do in someone's life is come in and say you're free and you break and you pull the bonds away and you stop there, we failed. Is Jesus more than enough? Yes. But Jesus has called us to walk along people because here's what's happening. We know this from the cycle of, of, of addiction. 
If you just take away something that you're addicted to and you don't replace it with anything else, that creates a vacuum. And it just sucks it right back in. How many of you have experienced that? I've experienced that. You don't just pull away the addiction. You don't just set up boxes of do this and do this and don't do this and don't do this. Jesus comes in, he breaks the bond of sin, but he fills it with who he is. And now there's a guard on our heart. And he puts us in this body of Christ to walk along with each other and say, you know what, I know you're struggling, but I'm with you. Jesus now is the owner of your heart, but we are brothers and sisters, and we're going to walk together in this. And if you fall, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to pick you up and say, we, we, we got this. Are you with me in that? Are you committed to that? That's hard work. That's hard work. It's easy for me to say it here. It's difficult to do this when that shows up at midnight and I'm tired. But you want to find that life to the full. It's in acting, being filled with his spirit, renewed by his power. You will have a life that you can't even imagine. It knows no age. Today's Mother's Day. There are people in my life who have acted in motherly ways from all ages, every race, every tribe, who have invested in me and I need it. And they continue to invest in me. God is calling us out and saying, Will you engage with this purpose? Will you engage with the grace, receiving the grace, but then giving grace to others around you to walk it out? See, what I found with with Jesus is that we tend to be in a hurry. We want things right now. I want it right now. God, if you're real, when I wake up tomorrow, everything's gonna be there. This is how I pray. You know, well, I used to pray. I I believe God's real, okay? (laughs) But I say, God, I don't wanna suffer anymore. I need that right now. I need this right now. And God's saying, I've got you, walk with me. It's gonna be all right, I know what I'm doing. You're gonna trust me and trust that there's a bigger plan here? It's like when I was learning to play piano, I just, I went to my teacher one time and said, I just wanna play those really big pieces, those big flashy showy things that are out there. Know what my teacher did? Gave me a bunch of scales to work on. Gave me a bunch of this little stuff that doesn't sound very good. And he's saying, we'll get there, but we gotta build something here first. God knows what he's doing. But he's saying, will you trust me? Will you turn to me? Will you hand it over in every season to receive this grace? Because where grace abounds, sin is always down. Amen. Would you stand with me today? Lord, I pray that we would have a right understanding of grace. I pray that we would walk through that door that you're calling us to to engage in the way that you're calling us to. Lord, where we are sleeping, may we wake up in Jesus' name and be filled with your spirit. Lord, let there be an intensity in us to be used by you, not anxiousness, but availability to you to speak to us. Lord, we know you always sharpen the tool first, so I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us, and I encourage you to open your heart and say, Jesus, speak to me, whatever you want to speak to. Are there areas of my life that you want to deal with today? Areas of my life that I've not handed over to you. Areas of sin that I need to confess that needs to die in me today. Are there people around me that I'm ignoring because it's too hard? 
Bring those names to me today and show me how to walk. Are there people in my life that you're calling me to pour more grace into their lives? You want to flow through me. You want to pour through me. Do that in me, oh God. Do that in us. That we would engage as the body of Christ. In your name, Lord. Amen. As we take some time this morning, it's important to respond to the word of God. I believe the Lord's been speaking to you today. I believe the Lord's been prompting to you today. Don't leave this place without responding. Several ways we have to respond. We, we do communion every week. The body and the blood of Jesus that symbolize his freedom. Engage with that. If you're struggling today, bring someone with you and say, would you walk with me in this and pray with me in this? We have prayer teams Pray with somebody. Speak it out. If you keep it inside, it's going to lie dormant and it's going to die. Speak it out. Great need requires great vulnerability. Find someone to be vulnerable to today. Maybe it's the person that's sitting next to you. Just turn to them and pray. Prayer team worker, go to the prayer wall and write it down. But let's, let's respond. God is doing a work in us. He's calling us out. Let's walk in that together, amen? Let's walk in that. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters, that they would receive the healing that they need today. I know there's people in this place that are calling out to you for healing. I pray for that today. Lord, I know there's great needs in this room, financial needs. And we call on you, your Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Give us the strength and the courage to bring it to you together. In your name. And then as the worship team sings, let's take a moment to respond to it today. Let's step on out.